feel like that happens decently often to me. I don't know if I put off electricity or something. <laughs> Um, okay, well, today we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 2, if you want to start flipping that way. Good morning, by the way. How are you guys doing? Great to be here. Uh, today is Church Planting uh, Sunday, and if you don't know what that means, I'll explain it to you. Um, as you know, we are all part of a group of seven churches, or eight churches now, actually, with us. Um, and our pastors, me and Pastor Chris and the others who are part of the other churches, um, we go on prayer retreats every so often. And one of the functions of our group that meets is we are always looking for the next church planter, um, somebody who will plant a church here in Indiana. And uh, so Kelly and I were called in this way. That's how we became church planters is Pastor Chris and others. They approached us and they said, would you start praying about whether the Lord would have you church plant? And we did. Um, and so now we're super excited because we're in the process of finding the next church planter after us, the one who's going to be uh, coming down the line. And so uh, we as a group of pastors committed to every time that there's a fifth Sunday in the month, we're going to have a church planting focus. And I think this is the first one since we made that decision. And uh Pastor Chris was going to be out of town, and he said, hey, can you come and speak about church planting? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, before we get into the scripture today, I don't know how many of the details you, you know about that church planting effort as far as what's coming next. Um, right now, we are looking at Wabash, Indiana, as the possible location for the next church plant. Uh, we went on prayer walks and uh, looked at a bunch of different places and prayed. And right now it's looking like we're leaning towards Wabash, Indiana as the possible next location for a plant. Um, we have been meeting as a group of pastors at Bethel College, and we're trying to develop an internship program so that we can uh, take students who are interested in ministry and specifically church planting and kind of take them into an internship experience where they'll learn what church planting is, what this looks like, and then maybe someday they themselves will be able to plant a church. Um, also, Kelly's dad uh, just recently took a job as, uh, what's the official title for that, do you know? We don't know the title. <laughs> Something, church planting. With the missionary church, he took a job, and one of his roles is going to be to go seek out church planters himself and kind of help connect it with groups like ours. The name of our group of eight pastors and our churches is uh, Wabash Valley. That's what we call ourselves. Um, and so we're going to be looking today at this idea of reproducing as a church. And you guys have already done that. You've repro reproduced through your support of us in Hartford City and the church plant that's going on there, as well as uh, Jeff Horseman, I know, has come and spoke here sometimes. And he is reproduced in Marion. Uh, and so then now we're looking at possibly Wabash in the future. So we're super excited because this is kind of the first time me and Kelly have been on the other side of it where we're looking for the next planter. And so it's really exciting. So let's get into today's passage. Um, I want to look at Second Chronicles 2 and look at some of the parallels um, from this passage to church planting. And so Second Chronicles chapter 2, we're going to just read uh, verse 1 through 10 says this, Solomon gave orders to build a temple for the name of the Lord 
in a royal palace for himself. He conscripted 70,000 men as carriers and 80,000 as stonecutters in the hills and 3,600 as foremen over them. Solomon sent this message to Hiram, king of Tyre. So this is a different king, not involved in Israel at all. This is a different country entirely. Uh, He sent this message to that king. Send me cedar logs as you did for my father David when you sent him cedar to build a palace to live in. Now I'm about to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God and to dedicate it to him for burning fragrant incense before him, for setting out the consecrated bread regularly, and for making burnt offerings every morning and evening and on the Sabbaths, at the new moons and at the appointed festivals of the Lord our God. This is a lasting ordinance for Israel. The temple I'm going to build will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him, since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him, except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? Send me, therefore, a man skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue yarn, and experienced in the art of engraving, to work in Judah and Jerusalem with my skilled workers whom my father David provided. Send me also cedar, juniper, and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants are skilled in cutting, uh, cutting timber there. My servants will work with yours to provide me with plenty of lumber, because the temple I build must be large and magnificent. I'll give your servants the woodsmen who cut the timber, 20,000 cores of ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of olive oil. And it goes on that the Hiram, the king, he uh, responds back and says, the Lord has given Israel a great king, a wise king, and sure, I'll do it, basically. Um, And so he ends up receiving this. So I want to talk today about Solomon building the temple and specifically how this passage relates back to church planting. Because church planting is kind of going into a community and establishing a brand new church for that community. It's creating a place where people can draw near to God, where they can worship as we just did together. And that's exactly what Solomon was doing here, is he was church planting. He was creating a temple, a place where his people could come to worship their God. Um, And so I want to draw these parallels between Solomon and church planting. Um, We credit Solomon with building the temple. But when I was reading this and I was thinking through it, I was really struck by how little Solomon actually does. I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, Number one, Solomon did not build the temple himself. Solomon never went down to the work site and picked up a hammer and said, okay, let me get to work on this thing. He was not involved with the construction crew. He himself never actually built the temple in any way. This passage says that he had 70,000 carriers, which is just people to carry heavy things. It's like there is wood and there is stones and stuff that needed to be moved. He got 70,000 people who were just there to be the heavy lifters, to get pick things up and move them where they needed to be. 80,000 stone cutters and 3,600 foremen, so people who were like directing the whole show. Um, And here in this passage, he's still asking for more help, even after getting all of these people. If if Solomon had to build the temple by himself, 
Can you imagine? There, there is no possible way he could have, right? Can you imagine what that would have looked like with him down in the quarry, you know, with a hammer trying to chisel down the stones to the right shape, trying to stack them into the right places, you know, trying to sew fabrics together by hand, uh, trying to melt down gold that he himself mined in the mountains, or, you know, last month, and now he has to melt it down to make... This never could have happened on his own. He he ended up relying on over 100,000 people who had to come alongside of him to see this actually take place. So Solomon didn't build the temple with his own hands. It was these 100,000 others, right? So I'm going to go through each of these points and I'll draw the parallels. Number two is Solomon did not have the materials himself. So he didn't build it. And he also wasn't the one who provided all of the materials. We know from Scripture, his father David is the one who started stockpiling. And he built up this huge reserve of gold and of silver and all of these materials that were needed. And then beyond that, Solomon, when he realized he wanted something to contribute, what he did is he asked Israel to contribute what they could. And so again, it's these thousands of people from all over Israel were sending in their gold, their silver, their precious stones, and other things that were going to be used in the construction. And then in this passage, now he's writing to the king of Tyre, a foreign nation outside of Israel, and he says, I'm building my temple for God. Can you please send me cedar and algumwood and all of these different materials? And so Solomon himself didn't provide the materials. So then you might think, okay, well, then he's probably the one who came up with the idea then, right? Like, he's not the construction crew, and he's not the one who provided, he's not the mastermind behind this whole thing. Uh, or he, he's not the construction crew, but maybe he's the mastermind. Maybe he's the one who uh, came up with the idea for the temple. But no, that's not the case either. Solomon didn't even have the idea to build the temple. That came from David. You remember David had said to God, I want a place where my people can worship you. I want to build this place for you. And the Lord said to David, no, it's not going to be you. And David had this passion in his heart for the temple of God. And so that's why he built up all the materials, got everything. David was the one who really birthed this idea. Um, but the Lord said, David, you have shed too much blood. And you are not going to be the one to build my temple. It'll be your son, Solomon. And so the passion for the temple was born in the heart of David. And then I think Solomon learned it because he grew up with David as his dad. You know, he learned that passion over time, but the idea wasn't his. And so you think, okay, well, <laughs> so he's not the, the design, he's not the one who uh, came up with the idea. Maybe he's the architect. You know, maybe he's the one who came up with all the plans and the designs. Even if he didn't do it himself, maybe he came up with what it's going to eventually look like, right? And you're, so you're trying to think, like, okay, what is Solomon's actual role here? But no, that's not true either. Solomon was not the one who came up with the design. He was not the architect for the temple. First Chronicles 28 says, David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, for its buildings, 
its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord. And so David, again, was the one who wrote down all of the plans and the designs, every single detail of the temple. But David wasn't the one who came up with it either. It says he received them directly from the Spirit of God. Did you catch that? It says, he gave Solomon the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind. And so David gave him, from the Spirit, the exact architectural design, all of the articles that were supposed to be used, the design for the candles and the curtains and the altars and the basins of, that they were going to wash in, all of it came from the Spirit of God. And, and here is how precise it was. If we look at verse 17 of, of 1 Chronicles 28, it says, It was determined down to the, the weight of pure gold for the forks, the sprinkling bowls and the pitchers, the weight of gold for each gold dish, dish the weight of silver for each silver dish. Everything was planned out down to how much the forks were supposed to weigh in the temple. So Solomon had zero creative freedom here. If Solomon said, you know, I think the fork should be six ounces, but the Spirit of God had said, no, that fork needs to be four ounces, he couldn't deviate from it, right? It was literally all completely determined down to the weight of how much each dish was supposed to weigh. It was all predetermined before Solomon was ever born. And so Solomon didn't build it with his own hands, he didn't have the materials for the temple. He didn't design it. He didn't even have the idea for this thing. And so what did Solomon do? How, why is it that we credit him with building the temple? Basically, what he did is he put out the call and others responded. He said, this is what I believe the Lord wants us to do. And others responded in obedience to what God was telling them to do personally. And so Solomon felt the call of God on his own life, and then he said, will you listen for what call God puts on your life? He asked others to help him in the work, and they did. Over 100,000 people responded to the call of Solomon, and they said, this is what Jesus, this is what God is putting in my heart for me to do for him. So now I want to look at this passage, and I want to, I want to see the parallels between what Solomon did and what church planting is. Um, so let's look at those four points again and draw some comparisons. When we pray for a new church planter in Wabash, Indiana, or in Marion, or in Hartford City, one thing that we know for sure is he cannot build the church by himself. Right? <laughs> That's about as likely as Solomon building the temple with his own two hands. The, the church plant is going to need help. He's, he's going to need help from the Lord and from other believers. The Bible talks constantly about how, how we are the body of Christ and how each person, we have a role in the body. And the planter, he'll be a part of that body, but he's never going to be the complete thing in and of himself. So he needs others. You know, the planter might be a really effective ear in the body of Christ, but he's going to need a mouth, and he's going to need a nose and eyes and arms and so on. We want this church to be 
as effective as possible. And so what that means is that the body of Christ is going to have to come around this man and be that for this community, more than just the planter himself. So what that means is others are going to need to volunteer their time themselves to help him in those early days. Because when he gets there to Wabash or wherever it ends up being, it's going to be just him and maybe his wife. And that is not the full body of Christ. I remember for us how valuable it was when we started church planting, we were told um, by, by the region, go ahead and in those seven churches that support you, ask for people to come down and help. Ask for people to actually like sit in the pew, we don't have pews, but sit in the chairs and, and be there on a Sunday. See if there will be people who will come around you and be the body of Christ. And so that's what we did. And we received this great response from some of the churches where they sent down people and every Sunday they sat there in the, in, in the row and they were a part of what we were doing. Um, I'm going to let you in on a secret that maybe, maybe I shouldn't say it this way, but it's really the truth. What we realized pretty quick was the thing that was most beneficial to us, the thing that helped us incredibly more than anything. It wasn't people who came down who were really really well-versed in Scripture. It wasn't people who came down who uh, were wonderful at, you know, being charismatic or people who came down who uh, uh, were natural-born teachers. It wasn't anything like that. The thing that was biggest in in the help to our ministry early on is just if there was someone who would come down and sit in that seat every single Sunday. And that was like, it it seems so simple, but like literally that was game-changing. The person who would just sit there and be part of the church body and be friendly to people as they came in. Um. When you invite someone, when you're a new church planter, and you invite someone to your church, you know, a new family, it is really awkward if they show up and it's just them, you know, or like them and one other person, you know, because the people we were reaching were not church people, they were unsaved. And so to walk into a room and it's just us sitting there and we're like, welcome to church, like that is an, like that's weird, but if there's somebody from the churches who will just be sitting there with us, you know, a couple people who are there and just like, hey, how you doing? And just friendly, don't have to know anything about scripture, don't have to, but just someone who will be a friendly face, that was the thing that was game-changing for us, when there were people who would just volunteer a little bit of their time. And then that person feels like, okay, well, there's other people here. I feel comfortable. And they would stay. Um, When this new church planter is chosen, whenever that is, might be this year, might be next year, whenever it is, please pray and ask Jesus if you should volunteer to go and be one of those people who just sits and is friendly to the people who come in. in. Um, Your church is uniquely set up among all of the churches So you guys are closest to Wabash, Indiana, except for uh, Jeff Horseman. But as you know, he's planting, and he has a tiny little group. And so he's probably not going to be able to send his people, I don't think. So of all of the churches that can send people to actually go help him, you guys are the ones who are closest. And so I really would ask for you guys, please seriously consider and pray, Lord, would you have us come and 
on the sun, you know, we meet in the evening, Sunday evening or whenever they end up meeting, uh, just to go sit in the pew and, and be an encouragement to that pastor. Um, the Lord has geographically put you guys closer than any of the other churches that can go down and help. So that's number one is this planter will not be able to do it with his own two hands. He needs the body of Christ. Number two is he is not going to have the materials he needs to build a church or, or the money, right? <laughs> um, you guys have always been so generous towards us. Um, when we moved down there, there was already from the seven churches $40,000 set aside for us. And that, that Kelly and I could not have done what we did if it wasn't for the generosity of those churches providing some of the resources that we did not have. <laughs> and that was set aside for, for us for our salary and then for the church. And that was so incredible. Um, and as we prepare for the next planter, um, our churches have already actually begun setting aside some of that money. And I believe your church has too. You guys have already begun that process of saying, okay, let's provide for the next one. And that's great because you guys want to be a reproducing church and you're doing that. Um, you have, that. That money is being raised as we speak. But the other thing I want you to consider is when they start, I would really encourage you the first time they come and speak in your church, the first time that planter comes and you meet them, ask them what other resources they might need. Um, I remember for us how much it meant the first time somebody bought us a set of Bibles that were all the same. Because we started out and we had like this like random assortment, you know, like some ESV, some NIV, some, you know, NASB. And we had all of these different translations and they were like, you know, just this assortment of Bibles that we had with us. But this was actually one of the ones that, that uh, Francis Betts from the Rock Church, he was the one who said, I'd like to buy us just a group, like all of us, one set of Bibles so we can be on the same page, literally, no pun intended. And so when, when we had someone new who doesn't know how to flip in their Bible, we could say, oh, it's on page 299. That's where you need to go. And like that was, it's such a, you know, for church people, it's like, well, of course your church has Bible. Well, no, not until somebody buys them, right? Not until some that is provided. And Francis Betts bought those for us. And I remember it was such a game changer when we were like, oh, we're all on the same page now when we flip somewhere in our Bible. Uh, we've had people donate to our church, you know, whiteboards and markers. We've had them donate chairs and tables, microphones, clothes to give out, toys for the kids' room, uh, a TV, an overhead projector. The list could go on and on. There are so many things that in your generosity, you guys have provided to us. And those things we use every Sunday. Those are things that the Lord is still, he's, he's used that to build our church. Kelly and I did not have those resources. And if it wasn't for the church of God being the body of Christ to us, we wouldn't have received those. So when this person comes, ask the Lord, ask the Lord how can I help them? And ask the person, you know, what do you need? Um, when Jesus sent out his disciples, you know, he sent them with no money. They, 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 he said, go out and don't even take a bag, don't take a staff, don't take anything with you when you go. And that's kind of what it feels like to be sent as a church planter, I'm not going to lie. But the, the reason is the Lord was trying to show his disciples, God will provide everything that you need. But we know, 
Of course he did that through people, right? The Lord provided everything that the disciples needed, but he did it through his people. And so as they went, they were always taken care of. And so even though this planter is going to be sent with next to nothing, he has his God and he has the church of God to help him on his journey. The third thing is, the vision for what God wants his church to be is not going to come from this planter either. In the same way that Solomon did not come up with, he wasn't brainstorming, what should this temple look like? He wasn't, he wasn't sitting in the, in the back, you know, trying to uh, figure it out. The planter is not going to be the one who comes up with the vision for what this church is. The design is not his. It needs to come from the Spirit of God. Solomon, before he was ever born, the whole design was preset for him by God. And when he was born, and as he grew, David said, this is what God gave to me, and this is what you're going to enact. And so the design for what this church is going to look like, it's going to come from God if he's a spirit-led man. And our churches need to help him discover what God's plan is. And so there's like church planter training. When we, when we started out, they sent us out on training. And that's a really good resource to go and have other people say, this is how to church plant. Uh, one of the things that's going to help him is we go on these retreats where we pray together. And the eight pastors, even now, every three months, we go on a retreat and we pray for the Lord's direction. And he's going to start to be a part of that. And that's going to be part of how he discovers this vision that God has for his church. But the ministry that he builds, it's not going to look like it does in Hartford City. And it's not going to look like living faith. It's not going to look like what happens in Portland or in Bern and in any of these other churches. So he needs to be seeking, what is the Holy Spirit guiding me towards as far as this design? And we need to be praying for him that God will show that to him. That's one of our responsibilities is to pray, Lord, reveal what you have planned so he doesn't do it on his own strength. Because if he just tries to figure it out on his own, he's going to fail. And so we need to pray that the Lord will be the one to put that in his spirit. Ultimately, the Lord's going to lay that framework and design, maybe down to the weight of the forks. I don't know. But the Lord is going to design that. Uh, John 6:29 says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. And that's what his work is going to boil down to, this planter. Is just believing in the one God sent. Think about Pentecost. There's this tiny group of people, you know, like just a handful of people. And all they're doing is believing in Jesus. All they're doing is they're praying together. They're worshiping him. They're not trying to do anything more. And then suddenly God adds this huge revival breaks out and he adds 3,000 number, 3,000 people to their number in one day. It's this incredible work of God that happens without there being any organization, without there being any service planned. Um, I was thinking about that thinking, do you think that they would have the same results if that little group of people had just been in that room brainstorming, how can we draw a crowd? How can we, you know, how can we build this thing? They absolutely never would have had 3,000 people in one day. That had to come from the Spirit of God. And so what they were doing in that room was the work of God that Jesus defines it. He says, the work of God is this, 
just believing in the one he sent. For the planter, his success is not going to come from strategizing. It's going to come from just being close to Jesus. And we have to constantly remind him that his work is just to believe in the one God sent and listen for what he directs him towards. And so when he comes, encourage him and help him keep his eyes fixed on Jesus rather than on human metrics of success. Number four, the idea for this church plant even isn't even his. I remember when we were called, that was one of the things that was so weird is we realized this didn't start in our hearts. This started before we ever even knew Hartford City was a place. Um, when we were called, we were blown away. There was so much preparation that had been done for years prior before they ever reached out to us. And so we didn't know Hartford City was a thing, and yet they had been praying and preparing things for three or four years before the pastors ever knew we existed. And then they ended up finding us, and they said, we were in Kalamazoo, Michigan at the time, and they said, will you please start to pray about this? And so we did. Um, when we were praying about whether or not we should move, Kelly felt like the Lord, we had been praying for, I think, like three days, and then Kelly was like, oh, I haven't been reading my Bible, I've just been praying, and she felt like the Lord said, yeah, open your Bible. And she opened it up, and the very first uh, verse that she happened to turn to was Exodus 23.20, and it says, see, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. And we were like, oh, that feels like confirmation from the Spirit that we are supposed to go here. The place had already been fully prepared for us. Before we ever stepped foot in Hartford, the Lord had sent his angel ahead to prepare the place that we were going to be. And so this is his idea. It's not ours. It's not Pastor Chris's. It's not the church planter, this, he has to recognize this was not his idea, but the, the, the way will be prepared for. So I want to end the message with Matthew 10, verse 40 through 42. And it says this, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Jesus is speaking. And he says, anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous man as a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. I always found it really interesting. The man who receives a prophet receives an equal reward to the prophet himself. Like that's, that, that's always been really interesting to me, that he says, you'll get a prophet's reward if you receive him. We don't focus on this much in the church, right? We're always saying, like, the Lord has sent you. You are the one being sent, so go out and change the world. And that's true. The Lord wants each of us to share the gospel, without a doubt. But Jesus recognizes there are two sides to that equation, Right? There's the person who's being sent, but there also needs to be someone who's receiving him. And Jesus says, whichever side you fall on, the one being sent or the one who's receiving, 
you get an equal reward. And to me, that's really noteworthy and that's worth paying attention to. The Lord says, the one who receives a righteous man receives the righteous man's reward. And so as we prepare for this next season, we have to keep that in our minds. We believe the Lord is going to choose the right person to send. And our responsibility is to receive them well. We need to commit that we are going to pray for this person, that the Lord chooses who is right. We need to commit to help with the work. You know, maybe we pick up the hammer. We need to help with the resources that that person might need, maybe the money that they need. And we need to commit to encourage and lift up that person whenever we have the opportunity. And so we're super excited for the future. The Lord has really cool things planned, I really believe, in Wabash, if that's where he ends up. Um, But let's pray that he sends the right person who would be perfect for this plant and that we would know how we are to receive them. Let's pray for that. I'm going to pray. I think we have one more song, and then we'll come up and we'll be dismissed. King Jesus, thank you so much for living faith. Um, this church has been such a blessing on me and Kelly's journey. I thank you that you gave them a heart for reproduction for for their church. Lord, you gave them a heart to uh, see uh, the gospel go out from not just here, but from Hartford City, from Mary, and now likely from Wabash, wherever wherever this next plant is going to be. I just ask in Jesus' name that you will please continue to help them to be generous and loving. Lord, please help them to send people who will help uh, just by sitting in in the row and and greeting people who come in. I pray, Lord, that you will help them to know exactly what each person in this room is called to do for whoever the next planter is. King Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your love for each of us. Lord, thank you for involving us in your work. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll please just uh, prepare our hearts for whatever you call us to ask in Jesus' name.